on this last Sunday of Advent before the proclamation of the coming and the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear some verses of scripture that tell a story you are familiar with if you spend any amount of time in church. The events around the birth of Jesus are recorded in Matthew and in Luke. I want you to hear what Luke says in chapter 1, beginning in verse number 11, as I read out of the New International Version of God's Word. I invite those who are physically able to stand with us, that together we might reverence the reading of the Word of God from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 11. Hear the extended story of the events that precede the birth of our Lord and Savior. Luke writes, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, meaning Zacharias, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said unto him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Drop down to verse 26. Now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the same angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. 
And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word be to me. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. On this last Sunday of Advent, I want to talk to you about Gabriel's good news. You may be seated in the presence of our God. I feel a little awkward and maybe even a little disingenuous standing in the midst of all this Christmas celebration and decoration and people adorned in red and green, the festivities of Christmas. The reason I feel a little disingenuous, if I can be honest with you, I'm not fully into Christmas yet. I know we only got about two more days for me to change my mind. But, but I'm not fully there yet. Part of my struggle is I'm overloaded and overwhelmed with school right now. I've got 11 papers that are due on January 13th at 11.59 p.m., and I got a long way to go. I'm a little stressed because mom is back home now, and I'm her primary caregiver. I have to get up earlier in the morning to make certain her breakfast is fixed. I've got to leave church on time to make sure she eats lunch to get dinner. Marcia, she found that bell. <laughs> that I'm gonna have to destroy. I'm a little stressed right now. I'm so stressed, you all, I haven't even gone shopping for the kids yet. And I know that means tomorrow I'm gonna spend a whole day dealing with people at the mall, because I haven't even, I, I, I don't like shopping. I hate shopping for other people. I, 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 I've not even gotten the boys their gifts yet, and part of the struggle is that now that they're in this teenage space, their personalities and preferences have limited what gifts I can give them. I miss the days when 30 minutes at Toys R Us was all it took for everybody to be all right. And now they each have different things that they want, and it's a struggle because now that I can't just give them the same gift, I, I understand that they are acutely aware not only of what they get, but what the other one gets. If you ever have more than one child, you sit and watch Christmas. You'll find out they don't just watch their own stuff. They watch what somebody else gets because they don't like it when something seems unfair. And so I've got to be diligent and disciplined about what I put under the tree. I've got to have the same number of gifts for everybody. The boxes have to be the same size. They start doing the math in their head. I've got to make certain... I haven't spent more on one than I have the other because at their age, that translates to them that one of them is favored more than the other and they expect dad to gift them equally. They're in the season, the space where they want everything to be fair. They want everything to be the same. They want everything to be equal. 
And any parent with more than one child knows you, you got to work hard in making certain that your children know you love them the same, that you care for them the same, that they are equal in your eyesight. But the one area where a good parent knows you can't be equal with your children is in how you discipline them. If you got more than one child, you know that what works on one doesn't always work on the other. You can raise them in the same house, give them the same food, give them the same rules, and I promise you that one of them jokers is going to be more hard-headed than the other. My oldest son, my oldest son, Johnny, all I had to do was look at him and say, I'm disappointed. He would break down and cry. But that youngest one, I got to hit him with a brick to get him to change his ways. Time out never worked with Cooper. I look Cooper in the eye and say, I'm disappointed. He looked back. Is that it? The other day, they found out that sometimes dad has to discipline you differently. They were fighting with each other. They always fight. Get, get on my last nerve sometime. So I said, I'm sick of this. Well, for y'all on punishment. I said, Cooper, the youngest one, you go upstairs to your room. I looked at the oldest deuce and I said, and you, you give me your cell phone. Let me just pause and tell you, cell phones are God's gift to punish children. When I took Deuce's phone, Dick Amanda, he lost his mind. He hollered, bloody murder, God. Now, Dad, that's not fair. You sent Cooper to his room and you took my phone. Why can't I just go to my room? I said, because you're a teenage boy. Going to your room with your phone is not punishment. That's the answer to your prayer. So I snatched his phone and I sent Cooper to the room and they couldn't appreciate it because they don't understand that what makes a parent good at what they do is that you know when you've got to discipline differently. Maybe that's what makes God so good at being God. God knows how to gift us equally but yet discipline us differently. If you don't believe that God disciplines differently, hang out in the events around the birth of Jesus. And let me tell them to you in a way, a story that you've already heard. Luke reminds us in the way that he writes his gospel that the story of the birth of Jesus does not begin in Bethlehem and doesn't begin with Mary. The events of the birth of Jesus begin in Jerusalem with Mary's cousin, named Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth from Sunday school. She's been barren. She's never conceived. She struggled with infertility. And when you meet her in Luke 1, she's post-menopausal. Childbearing is way behind her. And yet the Lord decides in Luke 1 that he's going to take this post-menopausal, barren woman, 
and open her womb to have a child. And the Lord decides to allow Elizabeth to get pregnant for one reason. Make certain you don't miss this. God answers Elizabeth's prayer for a child for one reason. Because the Lord knows in a few months, he's going to show up to Mary. And Mary is going to hear the will of God and she's going to struggle with it. God's going to tell Mary some things Mary can't understand, her mind can't accept, that seem impossible and unreasonable. How can a virgin have a child? And so the Lord moves in Elizabeth's life because he knows sooner or later Mary is going to struggle and Mary is going to need a living example to testify that God can do anything God wants to do. Make certain you catch this. The Lord takes a seasoned saint barren woman and gives her a child so a virgin who will be conceived by the Holy Spirit can look at her and know that if God can do it with her, then God must be able to do it with me. Elizabeth's pregnancy serves one person, Mary's encouragement. So watch how the pregnancy goes down. This gets good. God sends Gabriel, an angel, to go tell Zacharias they're going to have a baby. Zacharias is Elizabeth's husband. The angel shows up. This is what Gabriel says. Zach, I got some good news for you. The Lord has heard your prayer. You're going to have a son. His name will be John. And he will be great. Make certain you catch the fourfold announcement. Gabriel shows up, taps Zach on the shoulder, says, Zach, I got some good news. Your prayer's been answered. You're going to have a son. His name is John, and he will be great. And notice how Zachariah responds. How? What was this? He says, I'm old. And the sisters watch him throw his wife under the bus. And so is she. Like I said, there's no way me and my age and her and her age are going to have a baby. How is this going to happen? And when Gabriel hears, Zachariah asks how. Gabriel goes off. It's cleaned up in your Bible, so let me give you the South Side translation. <laughs> Gabriel hears Zechariah ask how, and this is what he responds. What did you say to me? Do you know who I am? My name is Gabriel. Put some respect on it when you speak it. Y'all ain't all saved. He says, I, I stand in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord sent me here to tell you that God has heard your prayer. God's going to give you a child. And you ask me how? So Gabriel says this, because you asked how, I'm going to shut your mouth for nine months. You can't say anything as punishment for doubting the word of God. Six months later, 
same angel sent to Nazareth, taps Mary on the shoulder, says, Mary, I got some good news for you. The Lord has favored you. You're going to have a son. His name is Jesus, and he will be great. Doesn't that sound familiar? I got some good news, Mary. God has chosen you. You're going to have a son. His name is Jesus, and he will be great. And Mary responds, how? I'm a virgin. And the same Gabriel who went off on Zechariah says to Mary, baby, don't worry about all that. God got you, baby. You ain't... Mary, you ain't, you ain't got to sweat all the details. C come here, baby. Come here, baby. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and God's going to do what God says. Matter of fact, baby, pack your bags and go on over to Elizabeth's house and see what God is able to do. Did you catch the difference? The same angel gives the same message to two different people who both respond the same way, asking how. And Zachariah gets punished, and Mary gets comforted. Deuce is reading this going, hold on, bloody murder. How can they both be guilty of the same thing, and one be punished, and one be comforted? Why is God seemingly more upset with Zachariah's question than he is Mary's question. Somebody say, that's a good question. That's a good question. That's a good question. What is it about Zachariah's doubt that is more grievous than Mary's doubt? Well, part of the answer is you have to remember why Elizabeth is pregnant. Elizabeth is going to be pregnant for one reason. I just told you to encourage Mary. So in Elizabeth, God is trying to create an encouraging environment so that when Mary shows up, she'll be in an environment that helps her when she's struggling, that encourages her when she's confused, that gives her aid when she doesn't know what God is doing. God says, I'm trying to surround Mary with people who remind her God is able. And in the midst of God creating an encouraging environment, here comes Zechariah. Doubting, speaking negativity, saying what cannot be. And the angel silences him as if to suggest Mary is on her way. And when she gets here, she don't need to hear all of that negativity. She doesn't need you voicing your doubt. She doesn't need you telling her what God ain't able to do. When she shows up, she needs somebody who's living proof that if you trust God, God is able to go exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask. Can I tell you why church can sometimes be a God-awful experience. 
not Alfred Street, but, but that other church you used to go to. Because every Sunday, God is trying to create an encouraging environment. Because on any given Sunday, in any given section, on any given pew, there's a Mary. Somebody struggling with God. Somebody confused about God. Somebody wondering how the Lord is going to handle this. And the Lord is bringing them to an environment to be encouraged. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, they wind up sitting next to a Zachariah. You know the Zacharias in church. Uh, they're religious, but they're also messy. Don't look at nobody. Don't look, don't look, don't look. Don't, don't. That's not Christian. Don't look at nobody. You know the Zacharias. Uh, they sing the hymns and they tell the gossip. You know the Zacharias. They pass the peace and then they ask for your phone number so they can take you out to brunch after church. You know the Zacharias that come in always negative, always critical, always got something bad to say, always running their mouths, always bringing up mess, always stirring up stuff, and you want to tell them, listen, I didn't come to church to hear all of that. I came to church because I need God to remind me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I came to get a word from the Lord. And there's nothing worse than getting in church, sitting next to some Zacharias. Listen, can I preach right here? Uh, somebody, you will say amen right here? Because uh, I didn't get up out my bed, get the family dressed up, drive 30 minutes to get here, drive around the church seven times because 9.30 was late getting out, park three blocks down the street, messed up my Jimmy Choo's walking on that cobblestone only to get in here and you running your mouth about some stuff I don't need to hear. Is there anybody that says I came here to be reminded that they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I came to be reminded that God hears my prayer. Did you trust somebody to tell them I didn't come here for all that? I didn't come here. And, 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 and every now and then, I just wish Gabriel would show up at church and find some folk. Because you're messing up the encouraging environment that Mary needs. I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled by this because the question I ask, God, why did you send Gabriel to Zechariah anyway? Say with me, say, let's have a little Bible study. Because when the announcement of Jesus comes, Gabriel is sent to Mary, the mother. I need to let you know what God is doing. But when the announcement of John comes, the angel is not sent to Elizabeth, the mother. The angel is sent to Zechariah, the father. Now, Johnny, it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. If, 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 
The angel is sent to Mother Mary. Why not send the angel to Elizabeth? Or if the angel is supposed to speak to Gabriel, why does the Lord not send the angel to Joseph? I mean, if you really think about it, if I'm Joseph, I would have really preferred <laughs> right, that if you're going to tell me this is the Holy Spirit that God would have told me first. You, you remember, you know the Bible says Joseph found Mary pregnant. She didn't tell him. She went away to Elizabeth's house, came back three months later showing, and he found out she was pregnant, and she come talking about this, the Lord. I mean, it just seems to me that if you're going to tell Gabriel, I mean, if you're going to tell Gabriel to tell Zechariah, you should have told Joseph. Why does the Lord not tell Joseph? Why does the Lord choose Mary in one instance and Zechariah in another? Why a father in one and a mother in another? This isn't just about gender equality. No, there's something else going on. Remember how the pregnancies come about. Mary's pregnancy is the immaculate conception. Mary's pregnancy is of the Holy Spirit. And so Gabriel doesn't go to Joseph because Joseph ain't got much to do with it. All Joseph has to do is sit and watch what God does. But Elizabeth's pregnancy is not an immaculate conception. Elizabeth's pregnancy is going to happen the old-fashioned way. I, I ain't lose you, did I? Um, that, that, that Elizabeth's pregnancy will happen because God has opened the womb. But Zachariah, you got to make a move. You can't just put this in God's hands. You have to do something. God's created the possibility, but you've got to act on it. And God is displeased because when Zacharias says, I'm old, he's excusing himself from the responsibility God has given him to make part of the answer of the prayer a reality. Zachariah, this ain't just God. This is you. You got to do something. Here it is. Because God's answer to your prayer often requires action on your part. That, that when you've been praying for it, God then turns around and says, now what are you going to do as a result of your prayer? Because my answer demands your action. Let me give you a side order scripture. God tells Moses, I'll open the Red Sea, but you got to stretch your arm out over it first. God tells Joshua, I'll bring down the walls of Jericho, but you got to walk around a couple of times first. Jesus tells the man at the pool of Bethesda, I'll heal you, but you got to pick up your bed and you got to decide you're going to walk. 
Jesus says, I'll raise Lazarus from the dead, but you got to show me where you laid him and move the stone out the way. You got to do something. And God is disappointed with saints who put it in God's hands and don't want to do nothing with your own. Can I tell you one of my favorite passages of scripture? Read it when you get home. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Joshua chapter 7. Let me tell you what happens. Joshua and the children of Israel have lost a battle to a little city called Ai. And after they lose, Joshua is on the ground praying and wailing and asking God, how did it happen? And God shows up. And you know what God tells Joshua? Stop praying and start fighting. Get off of your knees, stand on your feet, get some back in your backbone, some strength in your hands, and do what I've enabled you to do. I know who I can't preach today, but I want you to know that God's answer demands your action. God says, I, I'll create the possibility, but you got to fill out the application. I'll put your name on the promotion list but you got to start showing up to work on time. I'll heal your body, but you got to change your diet and get out of Five Guys and McDonald's and start eating better if you want to be healed. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you your Boaz and your Adam, but you got to learn to pay your own bills first. Take care of your own household first. Take care of your life first. You've got to do what I've enabled you to do. And could it be that God is disappointed when we pray, but we don't want to be part of the answer? God's disappointed when we mess up the encouraging environment. But watch this third thing. This gets me. There's a difference between Zechariah and Mary. Let me see if you can catch it. The angel shows up, says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. The angel shows up to Mary and says, God chose you. You almost, y'all, you got it. Um, you got it back there. No, put your hand down. You didn't get it. Um, God, God says, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. God tells Mary, God chose you. Here's the difference. Mary wasn't praying for pregnancy. The Lord just chose Mary. Some things God does, you don't even pray for. The Lord just does it. Here's the problem with Zechariah. You've been praying for God to grant you a child. And when the Lord says you're going to have it, you doubt whether it can happen. How can you pray and not expect God to do what you've been asking God to do for so long now? If you don't expect or believe God to do, why waste your time asking? But Marcy, maybe it's not just that they didn't expect. I think there's a deeper problem here. The deeper problem is how God answered. Let me see, let me see, let me see how, how smart you are. Um, the, the angel tells Zachariah, your wife is going to have a baby. Um, she ain't got it right now, 
Uh, this didn't just show up as a baby. It's not an adoption. No, this, this is a pregnancy. And the problem with pregnancy is that it's progressive. Uh, it's not immediate. It takes some gestational time. Hmm, about nine months to be exact. Um, so I'm giving you word now uh, that it's going to happen, uh, but it ain't going to happen today. As a matter of fact, it's not going to happen tomorrow. As a matter of fact, it's not going to happen next month. As a matter of fact, it's not going to happen a half a year from now. This thing is going to take nine months to develop. But hold on. Here's the good news, Zachariah. Although it's going to take some time, every day your wife is going to show some signs that what I promised you is about to happen. It ain't going to happen immediately, but you're going to get some signs that it's on the way. Now, watch it. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Zechariah waits until John is born in verse 65 to begin praising God. Because Zechariah, like many of us, cannot handle progressive answers. We can only shout when it's fully developed. And there's some folk, they need every prayer to be answered, every way to be made, every storm to be delivered before they know how to give thanks. But then there's some saints who don't need it all the way can see the signs and I can praise God that I see it's on the way. I need somebody who can tell God, listen, I don't need complete deliverance. All I need is a sign. And if you give me a sign, I'll bless your name. Is there anybody here that can declare I may not be healed yet? but I feel better, and that's a sign. May not have all I want yet, but got what I need, and that's a sign. I thank God for the sign. Um, um, I, I still don't like her, and she still acts a fool, but she spoke to me today. That's a sign. Um, I'm not all the way out of it yet, but I'm one day closer, and that's a sign. Uh, I still wrestle with the issue in my body, oh, but today is a good day, and that's a sign. And I need some folk who come into the sanctuary and declare, I don't need all of it. It doesn't have to be complete and done when I see what God is putting together and how God is working it out. That's enough. Somebody say, thank God for the sign. Uh, um. I'm done. I ain't go to the mall. Huh. Um, there's, there's one more reason why I think God is upset with Zechariah, and, and it's the easiest amen of the sermon. Let me see how smart you are. I want you to compare Zechariah and Mary. Mary is a teenage girl. Zachariah is an old man. See, I told you you weren't that smart. I told you you didn't get... Zachariah has lived a long time. Mary is just getting started. Mary's a teenage girl. She ain't seen nothing. 
ain't been through nothing, ain't never been sick, never had a storm, never had some enemies, never had a closed door, never been rejected, never gone through hell. So I can understand why she has questions. But when God punishes Zechariah, what God is saying to Zechariah is he's saying to us, uh, you too old to doubt God right now. You too old to not trust God right now. With all the hell you've been through, with all the storms you've made it through, with every diagnosis you've lived through, with every enemy you've outlived, with every storm you've endured, how dare you not trust God after everything God has shown you in your life? Beloved, beloved, as I'm getting older, I find out that there are some benefits to getting older. I like getting older. The older I get, the less I care about what you think. The older I get, the more I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. And the older I get, the more I know what I know that I know, that I know that I know that I know what God has done for me. And I know God is able. You too old not to trust God. You've seen God do too much. He's answered too many prayers. He's moved too many mountains. He's made too many ways. I'm too old not to trust God. I got to leave y'all. But, but, but I, there's some things about church I don't understand. I don't understand how you can sit every Sunday and never think amen. Never shout thank you. I get why they don't praise God in Kid Street. I understand why crossover gets a little quiet. I know why higher ground doesn't break out in praise. But how? Can you bring your grown self into the house of God and not make a joyful noise for what the Lord has done? Hey, you can't have gray hair and be quiet. And shut up. When you think of the goodness of the Lord, hey, hey, do I have some grown folk that don't mind blessing the Lord, praising the Lord? Come on, let's go home. Do me a favor. As you stand up, lean next to somebody and tell them I'm too old to be quiet. I've seen him. I've seen him.
here's the truth. The older you are, the longer God's resume is. I'm, I'm making my way towards my conference of exams for my PhD. And in preparation for the academy, they've been telling us to pull our list of what we've done and published together. And um, I asked the professor, I said, well, how do I write my resume in academia? He said, well, first of all, you have to know we don't call it a resume. It's called a CV. If you've never heard of it, it's, it's short for curriculum vitae. It, it, it's a listing of what has happened over my life. A, a resume just highlights things, but the CV, your resume shouldn't be about a page. Your CV can be 20. The longer I've lived with God, I, I, I don't have a resume on God. I've got a list of everything God has done in my life. And every year, that list gets longer and longer. I know what the Lord has done for me. And I've, I've grown too old not to thank him. I know the government shut down, but as much as God has shown you, how can you be worried right now? You've made it through recession. You've made it through furloughs. You've made it through sickness. And you have never seen the righteous forsaken. Lord, today you've shared some good news that your word can never fail and you have heard our prayers. Now God, teach me not to mess up the encouraging environment you're making in this place. There's a Mary right next to me who needs me to be Elizabeth more than Zachariah. They need me to let them know you are able. And Lord, what I'm praying and asking you to do I'm availing myself to be part of the answer. Here are my hands, God. You can use me. I expect you to do it. And Lord, I can praise you even before it's done because you've given me signs that it's on the way. And I trust you because I'm too old not to. I'm too grown not to believe you. I'm too mature to doubt you now. Thank you for the good news. In Jesus' name.